You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Twenty twenty is a, a moment where we have been disappointed, and I think it has honestly exposed to us the things that we've hoped in. It showed us, and it has surfaced things and places and people and things in which we've placed our trust and placed our anticipation, the the things that we expected, the stuff that we want to happen. Uh, 2020 has been one of those years where, honestly, it has disappointed us more than anything else. And it's put us into a pattern of, of having to actually ask ourselves, where's my heart? Where's my hope? What am I trusting in? What do I care about? And so the reason why we started with this or we, we start into this series, which is really called Refocusing Our Hope. Right. It's Advent 2020. If you picked up on it and you've seen it written, we wrote 2020 just like you would get that back from an eye doctor. Right. The 2020 is it represents clear vision. And so the idea this year is that we want to focus on eternal hope. We want to focus on eternal life. And we want to be able to say, like, you know what? At the close of the year, even though 2020 was crazy, we came back to true north and saw that Christ is the one who gives us hope. And the one that we ought to place our hope in, even if we have lesser hopes in this world, dreams that come true or don't come true and the likes. We want to draw back from all the disappointments that we've had. If you guys are paying attention, we got another update last night that could very well frustrate the rest of our plans for 2020. Um. But as we focus and center our hope on Jesus Christ, what we'll realize is that it doesn't actually put us out of commission. I thought it'd be good to say to you and to uh, encourage you with this statement. 2020 has not been a hard year for God. 2020 has not been a hard year for God. Let that sink in and think about it as you think about what your 2020 has been like and where he wants us to even place our hopes. You know, this idea of Advent, we keep dropping the word, but I would hate to not describe and define that for us to make sure we're all on the same page. Advent just means the coming or the arrival. Advent by its nature has a, 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 a great deal of waiting and anticipation that's built into it. There was a time that the people of God were waiting for the Messiah to come. And what we know about Jesus's birth is that that was the first advent of Christ. That they had been waiting for the Messiah all that time. And now here we are in the second advent, like Jeff has even talked to us about, like, you know what? It just our minds and our hearts are still waiting for final redemption and restoration. And we're, all, we're actually waiting for the sky to open up and for Jesus to come back. And when he comes back, that's when we receive the redemption that's been promised to us. And so we're in a second advent. So it's good actually to mark this out and to come to what we have 
uh, so lost in the Christmas season with materialism and consumerism and to actually pause and say, no, that's not what it's about. It's not about presence. It's about his presence that we so desperately long for and need. And so that's what we're going to focus on as we look briefly at the scripture today. Advent by its nature is waiting and preparation. And that's something all of us have gotten really good at during COVID, haven't we? We've been doing so much of it, but the truth of the matter is, is that it's left us with more questions than answers. Whereas the advent and the coming of Christ and the waiting that we do for his arrival, if we wait well, informed by the past and with a a full assurance of what is out there and to come to us, then we actually have all the answers and we have confidence and it can soothe us. And um, I I use that soothing, man. We need healing, y'all. We all need healing. We need to be healed. And so anyway, as I'm saying, I'm just thinking uh, that way. We want us all to walk away. Don't be surprised that this year and maybe even your next year will suck. (laughs) That sounds like what? (laughs) But yeah, don't be surprised that 2020 sucked for a lot of people, right? Don't be surprised that trials come and that there are things that we experience that are difficulties. Instead, put your hope and your faith in God. So Matthew chapter one, I just want to read to us the birth of Christ, the birth story, the way in which it took place, beginning in verse 18 and down to 25, it says this. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, but quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We've read that story, some of us, we know it very well. We can even recognize what's being told to us that you had a very scandalous situation, that somehow God thought that bringing healing and redemption to us into the world should best come through a pregnant teenager who is swearing that I've never been touched by a man and that her uh, fiance would have a dream at night that says, hey, it's all good. Actually, she is going to bring forth the Messiah that you've been waiting for, according to what the prophet says. And then he quotes Isaiah 7 and 14 that says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name God with us. In that moment, I'm so glad to know that Joseph was a good man. It says he was a just man, and so he was going to divorce her, but he was going to do it on the low. He wasn't going to make a big deal out of it like he could have. And the angel told him, don't 
Don't worry about that. This is actually what you've been waiting for. You know what we got a picture of at that point? Of what hope looks like and how it comes to pass. The people of God have been waiting for the Messiah. They have been waiting. When is the Christ going to be born? And when is the salvation going to come to Israel? When is this going to happen? And now you have this, again, scandalous situation that brings uh, the, the Messiah into the world through what no one would have ever thought. But you know why, as Joseph got up from that dream and obeyed the word of the Lord, he could walk forward is because he actually had hope. He wasn't just positively thinking about this. He didn't just have this blind optimism. He was called to remember the past prophecies and God's faithfulness and to look back at what God has said was going to happen. It is here and it is now. And that gave him the fuel. We need hope to be able to persevere through the times that we're in and the world that we live in. We need hope to be able to suffer through the things that we personally experience as well as corporately, whether that be as a church or as a country, right? We need hope. Hope is the only thing that's going to shatter all of the, um, the, the false expectations that we have in this world and lead us to the, uh, to the right thing. So hope is not just baseless and empty. It's not just like, hey, you know, Joseph, don't worry about it. It'll work out in the end and, and, and we'll figure it out. No, it was, it was all pointed back to something that was concrete. God promised that this was going to happen and now it's being fulfilled. God said that this was going to take place and now it is happening. You know, in the Old Testament, that actual that that verse that's being quoted from Isaiah chapter seven and even on into Isaiah chapter eight, the, the word that we have for hope, it actually is two different words. I won't bore you with all the, the pronunciation of it, but at the end of the day is one of them is about anticipation and waiting. And the other one is like the way we say hold tight. So the truth is, is that the way the Bible talks to us about hope is that there is an eager expectation and a waiting with tension. Being in between two worlds. Do you ever feel that? You guys feel that? We literally, we live in between two worlds. We have hope that explodes every category that says like, man, you should be down in the pits because 2020 did suck. But we answer back and say, 2020 didn't suck for God. I read a stat from one uh, one little online platform that when a church went online between uh, March and April, there was a million people that clicked this one platform's button that says, I want to make a decision for Christ today. We have been in the buildings. We have been inside all of these 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 nice, pretty places sitting on comfortable chairs. And the minute that God said, no, your church needs to be on Facebook, a million people made professions of faith in, in the first 30 days. That almost sounds unbelievable, huh? It's because our expectations are so low and we've gotten so comfortable with just doing church. That's why we say like, we're not about that. That's not what's, you know, we're not just gonna play church. We should quit while we're ahead if that's what our agenda is. And so anyway, when you think about the Old Testament and how it talks about hope, there's this waiting with great tension and expectation that puts us into a place that says, you know what? I'm actually gonna tell myself that, uh, you know, I will wait for the Lord. And I will hope in him and wait eagerly. That's Isaiah 8 and 17. Two words, our Bible says hope twice, but it's two different things that's tied together that's meant to tell us, don't just wait, 
but wait in the tension and wait eagerly and anticipate it and know that it's actually coming and it's going to come to pass. And here's the reason why. Because God is faithful. We wait because God is faithful. The definition that I would hope that you all walk away from over the next three weeks of what biblical hope is, is this. Hope is this present life lived remembering God's faithful past with confidence in God's promised future. Hope is this present life lived remembering God's faithful past with confidence in God's promised future. I was reading Psalm 42 this week, and interestingly enough, it was the same day that Barry walked into the office and said, hey, man, what's up with you? You've been looking down. I'm like, what do you mean? Trying to hide it. He's like, no, I know you. <laughs> right. So what's going on? And it's like, yeah, I got all of these burdens and all of this baggage and woe is me. But I've been reading Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is where we get verses like this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, what does he say he does? I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Without going all deep into that, the psalmist says, yep, I am down in the pits. My soul is downcast, but I know how to preach to myself and tell myself to hope in God. Because I can think about at least three occurrences where everything looked bleak and God overcame it. He gave victory. There was triumph. He saved me. So what he's saying is God has been good and he will be good. I, I, these things are painful and they hurt sometimes that we suffer and there's sorrow. But the, re, the, the, the reality is, is that God is good. He's been good and he's going to be good. So I can have hope and I can move forward. He literally tells himself, hope in God. Why are you tripping? Why are you cast down? He preaches to himself in that way. And I know we all need that. I want you to know something at Romans 5. I want you to read it again this week. I always give some homework. Romans 5 verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Romans 5, 1 to 5. I want you to read that. And here's what I want you to draw from it. The way it closes. This hope doesn't put you to shame. This kind of hope, it doesn't put you to shame. Living and true and biblical hope that says I can look at, back on God's faithfulness and I can look and see how God has delivered me in the past. I can look at how God is trustworthy and because of what he's done and who he is. And I can even look forward to the promises that he's given me. And I can say, yeah, that's not going to leave me hanging. Basically, God's not going to send you up the creek without a paddle. God's not like that. It really leads me, though, to saying, you know, since we know this, I think we ought to be able to look back at God's faithfulness and say, yes, yeah, Steve, everything you're saying is right. Amen. And walk away and never have any problems. But that's just not the way life works, is it? The truth of the matter is, is that we we, we still have tough times and we and, and we don't always trust God during those moments. And I wanted to ask a question. The question I have written here is, what is our problem with hope? Here's a secondary question to help you with that. Why don't we hope? What are the things that we're tempted towards that make us put our hopes in the wrong place? Anybody want to volunteer to yell something out? Comfort. Comfort. That's a good one. We talk about it. What else? Fear. Comfort and fear. We don't think we need it sometimes. We actually live 
and, and we're lulled into the American dream. And so the thing is, is that what I actually want to get to is not about outside of this world. It's making a name for myself here. How about the fact that sometimes we don't walk the talk? Everybody loves to talk about hypocrites. Most people say, I ain't never going to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, newsflash, we brought all the hypocrites out here to you so that we can join you in hypocrisy. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that we do. We live sometimes with this cognitive dissonance, which is, that's, that's kind of a psychology term, but this cognitive dissonance where there's something that we believe and we can even factually defend that it's true, but we have actions and behaviors that go the opposite way. And so it really unsettles us and we don't know what to do. We have like a disconnect <laughs> between what we know to be true and the way that we live. And that shatters hope. You cannot be assured. You cannot walk in confidence and you won't be able to, uh, you know, like look at God's promises and, and, and be excited about what's to come. If you feel like your life doesn't actually match up to what you know it should or what's true. And that right there literally spirals people downward that's how people become suicidal that's how people get into all kinds of manners of just like my, my brain is gone because things are not connecting between the head and the heart and that shatters our hope another culprit is relationships good ones or bad ones you got the mom who loves her children and she loves her kids and she feels like her kids are her hope you got the kids who had an abusive father or the girl or the boy who's been in an abusive relationship and they had placed their hope there and been disappointed and they suffered and they had all kinds of sorrow that came their way. And so now how do I hope in God? Because he's not fair. Why would he allow that to happen? And those things actually begin to compete against our ability to hope in God the way that the Bible calls us to. And so all I'm doing today is I'm just calling them out. And you're thinking in your mind about your own things, right? When I ask that question, I know more than just those two had the answer. What causes you to not hope in God? The problem is that when we place our hope in other places and it's misplaced, then we have dreams, we have aspirations, we have plans, and we have priorities. And they all disappoint us. That's why I hope it doesn't sound like like double talk when I say 2020 wasn't a bad year for God, but I also say 2020 sucked. It sucked because we had a whole lot of plans and we walk our lives not really considering that we should be hoping in the next and walking by faith and not trying to dictate what our life is going to be like. You see what I'm saying? So God is calling us to live in the tension, but live well because we wait eagerly, which that means that the way in which we have maybe hopes down here, they're going to be crowded out by the fact that we have a hope of eternal life. We have the hope of eternity. We have the hope of salvation, the hope of redemption. Those things are going to inform the way we live and it's not going to give us, uh, it's not going to disappoint us. So like we can actually have disappointments down here to say, man, but that's nothing compared to what's coming. Paul would say these things are just small, trivial uh, temptations and trials that are nothing compared to the weight of glory that's prepared for us. None of the things that we placed our faith in this year, if it was, it was, if it wasn't Jesus have a guarantee and maybe even all of those things have hurt us. Maybe you didn't do it to yourself. Like I say, you could be that person that has been in an abusive relationship. 
You didn't ask yourself to be born into that family or into that town. You didn't know what you were getting into when you got into that relationship. But you know what? God knows. And the good news of the gospel for us today is that we get to be in a relationship with a person and we get to put our hope in a person who not will who who won't cause us to suffer, but has suffered for us. Look at the flip on the compassion. You got daddy issues and your father wasn't good to you, but God the father has adopted you into his family by giving up his own son that if you have you believe in him and put your faith in him alone for salvation, you'll get eternal life. Suffering is like, it's temporary here, but it can dominate your life when you don't have hope. And so we wanted to just define it. We want to define what is hope and we wanted to be able to bring us to this place so that as we look to the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about how hope can grow. And then we'll talk about what hope is like when it is fulfilled. But for today, it's just let's just look at what real hope is. I'm going to just read this and close this out. So, Jeff and Jamie, you can come back up. We get to enjoy and invite others into a better hope, a hope of someone who loves us, loves us immensely and unconditionally. Again, someone who has suffered for us rather than caused us to suffer. And an important part of placing our hope in God instead of our earthly hopes is gratitude for that reality. Gratitude for the gospel. Are we thankful for the gospel? And what do we hope for? But let me pray and close us out. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we have eternal and biblical hope. I thank you for those who are joining us for the first time, those who are visiting, those who are passing by, even saying things to us. Like the truth of the matter is that being out here, it causes us to realize that we place our hope in the wrong places. And you're calling us to look toward the kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done in Ventura as it is in heaven and my our eternal hope be placed there and may that inform the way we live our lives from here and forward. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.